I, I, uh, this, uh, JD was taking this as his favorite season, time of the year. Uh, we have some, we have holidays that we, we celebrate and we have some goofy traditions that go along with them. Um, yesterday I participated in one of those goofy traditions. I took down our Christmas lights. Mm, mm. Let me tell you, uh, I have a passion for, for Christmas lights. Okay. Passion is a, is a fire that burns within you. Um, and I'm praying that every Christmas light gets burnt to the ground. Um, mm-hmm, somebody, I, I never, I like, we have a tradition that we, we celebrate Christmas and then we uh, temporarily totally, re, uh, redecorate the outside of our homes, the inside of our homes so that what we get to put a whole bunch of stuff up to take it all down. Um, just not one of my favorite things to do. Uh, we, we have a lot of traditions in family. We, ha- we have holidays. Uh, they're, they're fun. They're, they're, I like most holidays uh, primarily because every holiday has like food with it, right? Uh, yeah, come on, somebody's with me. Uh, we, and we know the cool thing about the, the, the holidays is that they're, they're telling a story, right? We know we celebrate July 4th and we have hot dogs and chips and, and get the, get the burgers on the grill. And it's a, it's wonderful time. Uh, and we know that July 4th, we're celebrating our independence because we are a free nation and we get to gather here together this morning because we live in a free nation. And that, that's a good thing to celebrate. And we're celebrating that story. We get to Thanksgiving. <laughs> Come on, somebody. The food gets good. The food coma is uh, like one of my favorite things to get. Like I love, uh, you know, about six o'clock Thanksgiving evening where I, like, I am of, of no physical good uh, because I have eaten so much and I am in the midst of a food coma and I love it. I, I enjoy, uh, I enjoy it. But it's, it's telling a story, right? It's telling the story. The history is a little, <laughs> I won't get into the, you know, critiquing history right now and how we've taught Thanksgiving. But anyways, it tells a story uh, of the pilgrims and our celebration of, of being, uh, a, a, you know, a nation that's been quote unquote, quote unquote, discovered, you know, but it tells a story. Christmas, Christmas tells a story, right? We know we celebrate Christmas. Why? Because we get presents, right? No, we get the greatest gift of all. That Jesus was born. Now we get to, uh, to Easter and we celebrate what? An Easter bunny. Right? And, uh, we celebrate the, the resurrection of Jesus. It tells a story. And we understand the story. We, we get our stories. Uh, but when we read in, in the Bible, there's, they, they call them feast, which I'm all for. Because let's just, let's just admit it, they're a feast. Uh, and they call them feast. And they're in the Bible. Uh, and we're going to walk through some, one of those today in, in detail. But we really don't know the story that they're telling. And we miss out because when you study the scripture, you should study it in what? Context. Come on. If you've been around here much uh, at all, you know that this is something that if you're going to study the Bible, you need to study the Bible in context. So go ahead. Get your notes out. Uh, Last week we looked at Acts chapter 1. And we talked about that the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out and that he told his disciples to uh, go and wait uh, so let, let me, let me, for some of you that we're going to be going to Acts chapter two, uh, let me, let me give you a, a little, uh, uh, catch up to where we're at on, uh, on Acts chapter two. So in Acts chapter one, uh, we hear about how Jesus has been resurrected. He was crucified and his first book, uh, Luke wrote to Theophilus that he was, uh, the, the, the stories of Jesus, the biography of Jesus. Then he begins his second book, Theophilus, Luke writes to Theophilus again and says, Hey, we're going to, uh, 
I want to tell you the rest of the story, uh, the rest of Jesus' story through his Holy Spirit. And he says, uh, Jesus told them that he spent 40 days with them, teaching them about the kingdom of God. Spent 40 days. Now, 40 days, anytime, again, context is so important. So uh, when a number is given to you, you need to look back on where was this number used before and what's the meaning behind the number. When you look at 40, it's a number that's always used in preparation, so 40 is the number of preparation. There's 40 days that the uh, children of Israel spent in the wilderness to prepare them for the promised land. Uh, 40 days, uh, uh, 40 years, I'm sorry. 40 days is what Jesus spent to, to prepare for his ministry in the wilderness. And now he spends 40 days with his disciples to prepare he, them for their ministry. Uh, so there's 40 days. And then you'll find out that there, he says, hey, go and wait in Jerusalem until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you, you find out later, they didn't know this, but the amount of time that they had to wait was 10 days. They waited 10 days. So 40 days with Jesus, 10 days waiting on his spirit to be poured out. And 10, day, 10 is always an important number. 10 is always a number of testing. Uh, Daniel spent uh, 10 days in testing. There's uh, 10 days uh, of, uh, in, in one of the, uh, I believe it's uh, the church in Smyrna, and the book of Revelation has 10 days of testing. Uh, the tithe. Tithe, we talk about offering, we talk about offering your tithes and offerings. So tithe literally means a tenth percent. A ten percent of, of your giving, uh, uh, of your income is, is a tithe. And what it is, is it's a test. Now, a test is never for God. It's never to go, God, God go, oh, good, you get an A. No, it's, the test is for you. God already knows your heart. God knows the insides, the outsides. He knows the difference between the, your, your, the bone and the marrow. He knows, he knows all the details. So the test is never for him. The test is for you. So it reveals to you where your heart is. And, and so we have here, they have 10 days of waiting, testing, to, you know, to, to, for the Holy Spirit to be revealed. And then it says, on the day of Pentecost. Now, there it is. There is the, the, uh, the feast that we're going to be talking about in detail. But uh, before I get there, I'm just going to read through Acts. I'm going to give you uh, our, our the picture of what we're dealing with, the context of, of what took place on that day of Pentecost. So, so here we go. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. So all of them were in one place. It says, suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames of, or tongues uh, of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. Now, that first uh, holiday that we're going to look at, the first feast, is that the one of Pentecost. Now, that word Pentecost is one of those ones that as soon as we say it, it's, we think uh, of a label that we give to certain types of Christians. They're Pentecostal. Um, and, and immediately when you say, uh, whether you're like, you say Pentecostal and you're like, I'm a Pentecostal or you say, I'm not a Pentecostal. That's the two terms of what it is. It's either that's what I am or I am not. And the problem is, is it has, as soon as you say it, it's a label and you have an image of what it is. So Pentecostal has really two very different labels. It's either one of, of no makeup or lots of makeup, that's the two, like, like when you have a picture, you're thinking uh, a tight bun of the hair or a big blowout of a hair. It's one or the other. It's, it's, it's extremes on, on what you have in your mind when you think of a Pentecostal. You, you think of what you think in, when you say Pentecostal, you have an idea of that mindset. 
I grew up as a, as a Pentecostal. That would have been, I was part of an organization that was uh, called uh, uh, Pentecostal. It was in the name. Uh, so when I think of it, I immediately have an idea of what it is. You have a totally different idea. Unless, you, you know, we all have this label and this de- de- uh, definition. So when we think of Pentecostal, I, I want to dive into what that really, what the day of Pentecost was. Uh, and, and so when I grew up, though, it was the, when I heard this story told uh, of what took place on the day of Pentecost, I always said it was in an upper room. Uh, that was the background. That was the understanding was this was the upper room experience. We had an upper room conference that we went to because that was, you know, a, a powerful time. We would want we wanted the Holy Spirit to be poured out. So we would have an uh, upper room time of prayer. And this, though, is what was what took place was we took uh, two pieces of the Bible and put them together and got a bad picture. We took one piece that said they were meeting in the upper room. This is where I'm going to mess with some of your picture of what, where this took place. They were meeting in, in, in the upper room, and that's what it says in Acts chapter 1. And then it says here in Acts chapter 2 that it filled the house where they were sitting. Well, this isn't the same place as where they were staying. Uh, we, we know it from context of where this took place. Number one, uh, we're going to find out in a minute that 3,000 people were, were filled with the Holy Spirit and were baptized. You can't do that in a small room. It's not an upper room that this took place in. Uh, we also know, uh, you know what, a great, great example of this is, if you're from Michigan, um, first, you, you can still be saved. Um, there's still hope for you, okay? <laughs> Jesus died for you too. <laughs> in the first service, somebody said very softly from the back row, go blue. I'm like, why would you bring in four-letter words like, into the church? And I was like, wait a minute, let's cleanse this house right now. O-H- Mm, see, a bunch of safe people up in here. Uh, <laughs> but Michigan plays in a stadium called the, the Big House. That, that's what they, that when you refer to the Big House, you know what you're talking about. And, and yes, the Big House was built from, from bricks right here from Sugar Creek. Come on, somebody. That's just, that's just, that's just right. I'm just telling you. And we own the big house. Uh, okay, I got to change subjects. Or I, I, I'm st- Why is this the only time you amen me? Um, anyway. Uh, so th- this, when it says the house where they were sitting, is referring to God's house. Where is God's house? It is the temple. Where can 3,000 people experience this to, to see what is happening? At the temple. If you go to where the house was, many uh, believe that, you know, that even if you just get the context, if you uh, go to Jerusalem and it's, it's a very, where the, they were staying is in upper Jerusalem, it would have been a very compact place and what is described here couldn't take place. So, so let me give you that picture. They, they are most likely, uh, just outside the temple grounds. They are where, uh, they, where you prepare to go in. It's a gathering place for teachers. Uh, uh teachers would, uh, get on, on the steps that led up to the temple and they would teach from that position. And so it's most likely that they are in that place. And it says that, that at, there is where the Holy Spirit was poured out and w- this windstorm came through. There was what appeared to be, uh, flames of tongues, uh, uh, sat down on them and they began to speak in other tongues. And then it goes, at the same time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. 
When they heard the noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Let me, they were completely amazed and say, how can this be? They exclaimed, these people are all from Galilee. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. So they knew, they looked at this group of people, they're all from Galilee, which is in the northern part where Jesus spent the majority of his ministry. He, they're all from there and they, they, they're going to speak most likely Aramaic as the, as their normal language. So they're shocked to see that they're speaking in all these other native tongues. Uh, so again, the reason why they're all there and we'll go through the list is that this is Pentecost. They are celebrating their seven feast in Leviticus chapter 23. We're going to get into details about those. Three of them are ones that they would travel back to Jerusalem to celebrate. Pentecost is one of them. So when this is taking place, it's not just people that live in Jerusalem that are seeing this. It's people from the entire world are there. And, and so they're all there. They're hearing them speak. And here, here's what here's the list. Uh, Parthians, Medes. Uh, I don't know. They're, they're all there. All of them. Uh, the Parthians is the is the not even Roman Empire. That's part of the area that hasn't been conquered by Rome yet. This is all the world. Any Jew that lived anywhere in the world has come back to Jerusalem. Specifically, the male of the family would have come back uh, to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. And so they're all there. And it says, we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. Let me, let me just put this real quick. The wonderful things God has done. See, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, a lot of times what we do and why a lot of us have a misconception of what Pentecost is, is because we think it, it, we have used it to say, I have a gift. Someday maybe you'll get it. I, I, it's all about me. And the first thing they do when they are filled with the Holy Spirit is not about them. It's about speaking of the wonders that God has done. The wonders that God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. I mean, look at them. They're talking gibberish. And this says, then, then Peter stepped forward with the 11 uh, other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk as some of you are su- assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is too much too early for that. Yeah, I, I think that's a pretty good cultural idea. By the way, if, if you're here this morning and you're drunk, nine, 11 o'clock is still too early, Okay. Unless it's from last night. That's another subject. Uh, okay, keep going, Josh. Uh, we need to talk about that too. But they, no, know what you, know what you see was predicted. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. What did he just do here? He just went to context. So he brings in, and thankfully, uh, he doesn't even leave some guesstimation of what he's referencing here because he quotes Joel. So he's going back to the, the first reference and he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my spirit, uh, on my servants and when men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Come on. Somebody's getting excited because it's happening. It's happening. 
And he says, and I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun, the sun will become dark and the moon will turn to blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whew. It's good stuff. Some weird stuff, right? I don't have time to get into the weird stuff, so I'll just keep going. Uh, people of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus, the Nazarene, by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you all well know. Here's what he just did. Uh, Peter just went and said, hey, what you're seeing right now is connected to the Old Testament. Everything that you've grown up reading and knowing, it's connected. Let me bring it back. I'm placing it on Jesus. Now I'm going to place it on you. Says, but God knew what would happen and his pre, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life for death could not keep its grip on him. Come on. Some, I got, I need an organ. I need somebody to back me up. Here we go. And then, he continues on and Paul preaches longer and he says, Peter's, I'm uh, sorry, Peter, not Paul. Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other disciples, other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And that's where I, I want to settle in and, and what I want to focus on is, is what should we do? And, and Peter, it says, Peter replied to them and said, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for is to you, to your children, and to those far away. All who have been called by the Lord are God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. Uh, I may go a little over because Peter just gave me permission. Nobody? Uh, strongly, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 in all. Somebody say, woo. I mean, that, this is good stuff. So again, this, this all takes place on the day of Pentecost. And, and so to understand what is happening, I want to, I want to go back and I got a little bit of self-confession for you. Um, since my trip to Turkey, I have been just overwhelmed with context and, and wanting to give you these great foundations. But what has happened is as I've been speaking context, I realized that about 35 minutes of my message is, is context. And then I throw two minutes of practical at you. And that's hard. And so I, I, my position here in this role is to be giving the word of God to you uh, and make, helping it so that you can live it out. Amen. And, and so I don't want to just fill you with head knowledge. So we have a group that meets on Thursday, uh, Thursday night, seven o'clock is called Context. And what we do is we dive into the scripture, uh, the message that I preach on Sunday, and we go into it a little bit deeper. So the things that I'm going to about to explain to you, I got to go through really fast. But if you want to go to a deeper Thursday at seven o'clock, I'll be diving into this uh, into a deeper level. It's an awesome time. It's very uh, full of dialogue going back and forth. So Pentecost is one of the seven holidays that, Jesus, uh, that God gave to the Israelites uh, in Leviticus chapter 23. And so let me give you the seven that he gave and then we'll focus on the one 
called Pentecost. So the first one is Sukkoth. Sukkoth is the holiday. It's also known as the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, what it was is they celebrated, God, uh, God told them to celebrate this because for 40 years they had been living in temporary tents and God had been in a tabernacle. And so every year they would go back out and they would uh, spend time uh, in the, uh, um, in the, in their fields living in tents to remember what God had done for them, that they once were portable and now we're no longer. So, you know, I really feel like this is part of, you know, our story. I think maybe every year we should take a, a couple services and we, we grew up portable. So maybe we should go out and do some. Anybody going to join me in our portable church? <laughs> Nobody that's been part of the portable church was like, yeah, that's me, baby. Uh, yeah, it's uh, so we have uh, the uh, so they, they celebrated that. Uh, then the next one is the Passover. Now, you may have heard of the Passover. This is a, a pretty well-known one. It coincides with the beginning. Uh, Passover coincides with, uh, with our uh, Good Friday and Easter. Uh, so Passover uh, would begin. It's uh, Sukkoth. Uh, go back to, going back to Sukkoth real quickly. Uh, it's, a, it's a very uh, important one uh, because it, it, they were saying that God was tabernacling with them. So God was on earth with them. And in this case, uh, Solomon even dedicated the temple on Sukkoth to represent that God was now dwelling in the temple. Okay, the Passover uh, was when they had when when they're in Egypt, they were called to leave. uh, Moses takes them out of Egypt, takes them to the promised land. But before they get there, he says, uh, Pharaoh says, I'm not going to let you go. And he goes through the 10 plagues. The last plague is when he says, I'm going to kill a firstborn in every home. But if you kill a lamb, sacrifice a lamb, and put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, the angel of death will pass over your home. So they are celebrating that they're coming out of Egypt and that the angel of death passed over them. And then the next one, which is actually celebrated on the Saturday. So Passover would begin on our Good Friday. Then the Feast of Unleavened Bread would be on Saturday. And the Saturday was they would celebrate this as a celebration that God provided for them in the wilderness by giving them manna. And then they said uh, so that, that he provided for them uh, that bread in the in the in the uh, in the um, in the wilderness. Then uh, on the, the Sunday would be the celebration of first fruits. So they would have the feast of first fruits and the first fruits uh, would be that they because of when they came into uh, the promised land, God says the first of everything is mine. The first of everything is is mine. So uh, he says Jericho is I'm going to celebrate that. So they're celebrating that they have given the first to, to God. So principle of first fruits. Uh, then the, after that is the, the, the celebration or the feast of Yom Kippur. Uh, this is the day of atonement. Uh, they still celebrate this one. It's one that we've heard of. Uh, you, you may have heard of. Uh, it's uh, uh, one that the, the, the Jews still celebrate. Uh, and they will celebrate the Day of Atonement, that God was atoned for them. And he, here's what they would do. They would take a, uh, the, the high priest would uh, take a sacrifice. Uh, he would go into the, the holy place. He would sprinkle some blood from the sacrifice on the holy place. Then he would take some of that same blood and sprinkle it on a goat. They would take the goat to the edge of camp. And they would release it, and it was the scapegoat goat, taking the sins of the Israel with it into the wilderness. And it would obviously die. 
Uh, and this is symbolizing that, that they were atoned for a year. So then next year they'd have to do it all over again. Then uh, the next one is Shavuot. Shavuot. Which uh, has another term of Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. This is the one we're going to spend some time on. Uh, and I'll, I'll dive into a little bit of details. Then the third one is Rosh Hashanah. So uh, the, uh, the one they're celebrating, uh, Shavuot, uh, is a celebration of receiving the law on Mount Sinai. So they're celebrating that God came down, gave the law to Moses. The Rosh Hashanah you, uh, is one where they would say that they were uh, looking forward to the judgment of God. So we have all these. Now let me connect these because every one of these is connected to Jesus. In fact, uh, if you go back, uh, Matthew chapter 5 verse 17 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Instead, I have come to fulfill them. I have come to fulfill them. So this is what Jesus is doing. He's coming to fulfill them. So let me walk through how Jesus fulfills them. And the first one is the, uh, the Sukkoth, which is the Feast of the Tabernacles. Jesus was most likely born during the Feast of Sukkoth. Context and the time frame gives us that he was born during this, this t- season, which would have been around October. Uh, the fact that the, the, where the shepherds were and I don't have a, like, this just gives us a, uh, an understanding. And the, on top of that, it was when, uh, so that it represented that God was dwelling among them. So that's why Solomon dedicated the temple on Sukkoth and that Jesus was saying, I'm being born. God is dwelling with you. So Sukkoth is met in that. And then in John chapter seven, verse 37, Jesus begins proclaiming his message on the, the last day of this feast that you can see that in John chapter seven, verse 37. And then there's the Passover. The Passover is, uh, is met in Jesus' birth, uh, Jesus' death. First uh, Corinthians five, seven makes this as clear as all get out. It says that he has become our Passover lamb. It's even more detailed. The parallel between Jesus being the, the, the lamb, uh, is, is mirrored in the fact that the Passover lamb was killed at 9 a.m. And then at 3 p.m. it was placed in the, in the oven. Jesus was crucified at 9 a.m. And then he was uh, put, uh, in, put into the tomb at 3 p.m. It's parallel. Parallel. So then uh, the, uh, Jesus, uh, the unleavened bread, uh, he is represented Jesus' burial. He was the bread of life. And that it was, he was the one to be put into the, the seed. John, three, uh, John 6, 35, you'll see this. Uh, in, in, in better detail, I got, I'm, I, I know I have to fly through this, but you can, we, come Thursday, come Thursday. First fruits, Jesus' resurrection was connected with the first fruits. First uh, Corinthians 5.23 says he was the first fruits of those to be resurrected. Uh, then Yom Kippur, Jesus' atonement. In Hebrews 9, the, the author of Hebrews says that he was, he, Jesus has become our atonement. He represents the atonement. And then there is the Feast of Pentecost, uh, which is in Acts chapter 2, and then Rosh Hashanah, which is represented in Jesus' judgment. And you'll notice that I don't have any scripture below Jesus' judgment. That's because it has not yet been fulfilled. Here's what you have to hear. I, this is, this is, I, I, I want to spend more time here. But the fact that Jesus is coming back means we need to be on, on point. We need to be geared up. We need to be doing what we've been called to do because there are people who are going to be judged 
on that day who have not made a decision to follow Jesus. And it's our responsibility. Not only are we going to be judged on that day for whether we accepted Jesus, we're going to be judged by what we did with what Jesus gave us. This is important that we understand this, that we understand why Pentecost and the Holy Spirit is so necessary for us. So Acts chapter 2 uh, lays out for us this, uh, the promised spirit. So it's Jesus' promised spirit. On, they're, they're, the parallel is, is unbelievable, and I, I wish I had more time to, to stick on this and, and really dig in here. But there's a couple of things I want to show you that parallel. In Exodus uh, 19, so Exodus chapter 19 and 20 would have been read every, day, every Pentecost, which Pentecost simply means 50. So it was, it, Pentecost takes place, or the Feast of Weeks is seven weeks after Passover. So we got seven weeks, 49 days. The next day would be on the 50th day. They would celebrate Shavuot, Pentecost. It's not a new holiday. It's the same one. And it's, Pentecost is just the Greek form of Shavuot, 50 days. Just means 50. So they celebrate it 50 days. The, the power that it takes place is on that day in Exodus, they read Exodus chapter 19, when God gave them his word. When God gave him the, his word on Mount Sinai, God's presence is accompanied by fire, smoke, and the sound of thunder. In Acts chapter 2, we see God, that God's presence during Pentecost was accompanied by the sound of wind, tongues of fire, and the gift of different languages. When God gave the Torah to Moses on Mount Sinai, the people were worshiping the golden calf and about 3,000 people died as a result. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out and 3,000 people are saved. God's presence on Mount Sinai was represented in the cloud of fire, which the Israelites, uh, which led the Israelites out of Egypt, later moved into his presence into the tabernacle and then into the temple. On the day of Pentecost, his spirit was moved from the tabernacle into a new tabernacle. You are the body of Christ. You are the temple of God. And then the Torah provided God's teachings for the Old Testament community. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out, which brought all truth and would lead followers of Jesus. The parallel is unbelievable. And the power here is to understand why Luke would connect these and why he would say, hey, the all the all truth that, that would come. Jesus has been talking about the Holy Spirit. We talked about this in detail last week, that all truth would be poured out and that you would have all truth. But how do you just having the head knowledge doesn't change you. You have to be empowered to do what he's calling you to do. That's what the Holy Spirit is telling us. And what Peter lays out for us is going to do for us. And he says the first thing is that you will be able to follow Jesus. Go to your notes, put that in there. You, the Holy Spirit enables us to follow Jesus. This is what uh, Peter said. He said, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. I love the way Romans, uh, Paul, well, you'll see Paul understands and, and lays us out wonderfully for us. He says in Romans 8, he says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So there was a path that you were on that led to death. When you, when you experienced the Holy Spirit and the Spirit was breathed upon you, then you were changing your path to a la, la, path that leads to life. 
But here's the thing. We, we get stuck on, on this. We, we have, we get into this salvation is, is never the end game. Because the Holy Spirit also gives us the freedom in the Holy Spirit. Freedom. This is, it's not something weird. It's not something that we, we've made this into a, a weird, spooky thing. A thing that becomes a, 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 an ego status, a thing that becomes uh, something that's like, I, I don't, I don't want to be associated with that. But the thing is, is the Holy Spirit is absolutely vital. It's absolutely necessary. It brings us freedom. And, and uh, in Romans, Paul wrote, was writing to, again, continue that. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if, the, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Here is where we have messed up as American Christians or in Christianity is we made it a one-time decision. And then we come back and we make that same decision again. And you go, you all, I see it. I see it all the time. Some of you will come in. They'll be like, man, I want to follow Jesus. Jesus died for me. I want to make a decision to follow him. And they'll pray the, the prayer of commitment and they'll give their life to Christ. And then they'll go into the week and they struggle because they still have addictions they still have difficulties. They have relationships that are broken. They have things that are in their life that are, that are holding them back. And, and th- all this is happening in their life. And they get to a point where they say, you know what? A church is just something I have to go to. But the Holy Spirit changes that. The Holy Spirit was what enables you not just to come to church and spend time in his presence on Sunday. But when you wake up on Monday. And you wake up and you put your worship music on and you go, you know what? It's not going to be the perfect day, but the Holy Spirit is going to empower me today to live in freedom. Addiction gone. I'm not going to allow the addiction to define me. I am being empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to allow things to keep me going. This is what's the, one of the missing pieces to us following Jesus on a continual path. Not saying you're going to get knocked, you're going to fall off, and you get everything. I'm saying there's going to be times where you're going to, it's going to be difficult. But when the Holy Spirit is empowering you, it's going to lift you up and get you through the situations. This is in Acts chapter two. Peter says, "Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins." This is what's so powerful about baptism. It's because when you are baptized, it represents and it tells everyone, hey, I'm, I'm being buried. My old man is being buried. All that stuff that I've gone through, it's gone. I'm coming up new. It's a journey. It doesn't mean that you're going to come out and everything's going to be hunky-dory. It means you're going to come out of that and you're saying the Holy Spirit is going to empower me. I'm going to follow in his path. And I'm going to allow him to reveal in me the things that need to be removed. I'm going to follow after him and allow his spirit to take me to where I need to be. It moves you from that I have to do in your relationship with God to that I want to do in your relationship with God. The third thing that happens 
is that it moves, it, it takes you to a place where you're fulfilling the Father's mission. See, the first two are fun. Come on, you need to follow Jesus Christ. He died for you. That's an easy decision, right? He died for you. Okay, I'm going to follow him. He's going he's gonna to help me walk in freedom. I'm going to walk and discover freedom as I follow after him. Awesome. Yes. Exciting. But then he puts you on a mission. Acts chapter 2 says, Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why do we give, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? He already gave us the answer to that in Acts chapter 1. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. See, this is, this is our ability to live out what he has for us. And he says, you're going to be receive power. Paul continues in Romans chapter 8. He says, so you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. You're not about your business. You're about his business. It says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. I'll get it constantly. I mean, I, I know what God's calling me to do. He's calling me to, and then fill in the blank. And every one of you already know what it is. You're sitting here and you're going, hey, I know what God's calling me to do. I, I, I know, I, I, you may not know the full path, but you know the next step. You know where God's calling you next. He's been dealing with you. He's been walking with you and he's been prompting you and you've been feeling him. You've been feeling that loving conviction telling you to take the next step and you're going, but I'm not ready. I'm not sure where, what happens after that. This is where the Holy Spirit empowers us in our weakness. Take the step. Go. Go. Allow him to touch you. Lord Jesus, Lord, I thank you for your anointing. I thank you for the power that has been placed in us because of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we give you the opportunity right now to fill us with your spirit. Help us to follow you. Let us experience freedom and find freedom in you and follow you and have a fulfill, fulfill the mission that you've placed in us. Lord, we give you all the glory in Jesus' name, amen.